Okay, cool. Hopefully, you had a chance to share, and if you didn't, you can probably tell that person afterwards. I'm sure they still really want to know. Awesome. Thanks so much. Now, hold that kind of in your head. We'll come back to the cross a little later on. Uh, but this evening, we wanted to create a space uh, to talk about things that we maybe don't talk about very much, uh, but actually something that has and is taking captive our culture um, and our hearts, something that's affecting our view of ourselves and of others and of God. And that's why we landed on shame. Now, it might feel quite intense for a Sunday evening, but I hope and pray that you come with me uh, on this tonight to allow yourself to hear God in new ways, allow him to show you love in new ways, and allow him to challenge you in new ways. Now, just before we start, I am by no means a professional, but I've made sure to read lots, to pray lots, and to listen lots. And so my prayer is that this evening God would use all of that for his glory and that we can be changed by his Holy Spirit tonight. Now, in essence, where we're heading this evening is quite simple, uh, but at the same time is so complex and so intricately woven into our experiences and our identities. Now, the simplicity comes as we discover the truth that God wants to free us of the shame that we carry. But the complexity comes as we seek to actually do that, to untangle the shame and to step into the freedom that we gain. That's likely to take longer than the time we have together tonight. And that's fine. Our hope for tonight is to open the door for the burden of shame to be lifted for us to recognize the meaning and the role of the cross in each of our stories, especially in the places of shame. Now, I'd actually like to start by thinking about guilt. Let your mind wander to a time when something you've done has led you to feeling guilty, when you know you've messed up, and then that feeling arrives. It's kind of hard to put into words, but you know what I mean, the guilt just sets in. Now, that's not a nice feeling, is it? But I think it can be a helpful feeling. Guilt often moves us to instigate change, to apologize, to do what we can to restore peace to a situation. Without that feeling of guilt, as nasty as it is sometimes, how would we be able to know when a sorry is necessary? How would we know when we need to bring restoration to a broken relationship. With no guilt, our imperfect nature would just continue and continue to hurt those around us. I'm not sure what relationships would be left if we weren't moved by our guilt to mend our mistakes. But this evening, as we talk about shame, it's really important for us to separate guilt from shame. Now, Rebecca Winfrey, she's a GP who studied pastoral theology. She has a helpful way of distinguishing shame from guilt. She writes this, I am defining shame in a particular way as a sense that one's whole self is of little worth. This is not the shame that comes about through doing something wrong. This is a shame that says there is something profoundly wrong with me. That's what she writes. There is something profoundly wrong with me. That's not guilt. That's shame. If guilt says that we made a mistake, then shame says that we are the mistake. Shame isn't necessarily about the mistakes that we've made, although that could be woven in, but instead it's about us being the mistake. Brené Brown, you might have heard of her, she's a researcher on shame and vulnerability. She defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance, connection, or belonging. So hopefully you can see the difference between guilt and shame. Shame can bring feelings that we don't belong, that we are unlovable, that we should hide. 
Perhaps it can stem from what someone has said about you or what someone has led you to believe about yourself. Perhaps it's from an experience that you've had. Perhaps it did start with a mistake you've made, but it has grown and grown into something that isn't now about that mistake. It's about who you are. But whatever it might be, I believe what shame does is leads us to hide. The word shame actually comes from an older word, which means to cover. If we're embarrassed, we say that we want the ground to swallow us up. If we think we don't look okay, we probably avoid going to the supermarket where everyone is, like Sainsbury's in Badger Farm. But you know what I mean? Feeling shameful leads to not wanting to be seen. You want to cover. You want to hide. If you don't feel good enough, you don't want to be around everyone else. And this is not new. This hiding thing from shame is not new. We can look to the beginning of the Bible and how shame entered the world. But the thing is, though, that's not how we're created to be. Adam and Eve weren't created to be people who hid. They weren't created to be people who lived in shame. And we're told in Genesis that they were naked, but they felt no shame. In a world where everything is balanced and all things are in perfect harmony, what is there to fear about rejection from others? How can you feel shame in a perfect world? Well, you can't. Yet, as sin, <laughs> as they believe that there's something wrong within themselves, the fear starts to grow. That fear of rejection grows within themselves. And that impacts their relationship with God and with one another. Separation and isolation are a product of the way that Adam and Eve experience shame. And I don't think it's just them. I believe this is an experience of all humanity. Of course, people experience it on different levels, but I expect we can all relate to a time when we feel like we are the problem, where all we can do is run away from God and run away from everyone else. Because why would anyone want anything to do with us? I want to encourage you tonight that Jesus' life and death show that God really does want something to do with you. That actually he really does want a lot to do with you. In the garden, God goes looking for Adam and Eve. He doesn't want them to hide away. When Jonah runs away, God sends a whale to rescue him. He didn't want Jonah to run away. For us, God sent his son to save us from everything that gets in the way of us and him. He doesn't want us to run away. He sent his son because he loves us. I wonder what you said in your groups about what the cross means to you and what the cross does in your life. I imagine there were lots of answers around the room. Some might not be sure right now, but I expect forgiveness might have come up somewhere. And that's right, the cross deals with guilt. Our mistakes are blotted out, as David puts it. We're forgiven, blotted out. And that's an important truth to celebrate and to hold on to. But because the cross saves us from everything that separates us from the Father, the cross can also free us of our shame, can forgive us from our guilt and free us from our shame. It saves us from everything that gets in the way. Adam and Eve weren't created to be people who lived in shame and neither were we. We're created to have an identity that is completely and utterly wrapped up in being a child of God. A child that he knows everything about. A child that was created by him and only him. By a father who cares so deeply for us. God brings freedom and he makes us his. We are given a life of freedom and an identity in him. 
we're given both life and an identity. And I believe this is good news in a world where despite being able to do whatever we want and be whoever we want, we actually often end up feeling trapped and don't know who we are and don't know what to do. I'm glad that God gives me a true freedom and a solid identity in him. So I don't need to be weighed down by shame. God sees me in that shame and he says, you are loved. He says, Louise, you are loved. And he says to each of us here tonight, you are loved, even if you're in that pit of shame. He says, you are so loved. He says, you're so loved that I want more for you. He wants more for us, for us to look to him and find freedom and life and identity and purpose. Now, the story of God's people in the Old Testament sees Israel freed from shame and slavery and brought to a land and a life that was promised for them. And that has parallels with Jesus' death and resurrection. We can be brought from shame to glory, from the shackles of shame to the freedom of redemption. Whether shame is something that's come from an experience you've had, something that's been spoken over us by others, or perhaps we don't even know how we've ended up in this place. We know that shame is limiting and restrictive and holds us captive. And it's a spiritual battle too. The name used in the Bible uh, for the devil at some points is the accuser. Trying to make you believe things about yourself and about your identity and about your salvation that aren't true. Things like that God doesn't love you, that you're not created in the image of him, that you're not worth saving from sin. And that's not true. And it's God's truth that we want to hang on to, not the lies that come from an accuser. Imagine the story from the Bible of a woman caught in adultery, put in front of a crowd, probably naked, ready to be shamed for something she'd done. Now, no one is saying adultery isn't wrong. Of course it is, but the public shame... There's a lack of value being placed on her life and on her dignity. She's afraid and vulnerable and ashamed of all she's done. But I imagine mostly that she's ashamed of all that she is. But Jesus sees her differently to how the crowd are seeing her. And he sees her differently to how she's seeing herself. Not as someone to be shamed and reduced to nothing. Instead, as someone who needs forgiveness, but also needs freedom from shame. And that's what Jesus offers her, and that's what he offers us. Jesus' life and death show that God wants us to live without shame. As children of God who walk with the knowledge that we are being brought to glory in Christ, our shame is exchanged for his glory. Jesus is interested in those who hide because of our shame. And those of us, that's, that's the people who think he's not interested. He is, he's so interested in those people who hide because of their shame. Those of us who think, how could anyone want to know me? That's who he's interested in. And how do I know? Well, when he was here, that's who he spoke to. His heart was for those who hid and I believe it's the same now. The woman who Jesus meets at the well, she's collecting water at midday. It's like so, so hot at midday. But she's doing it then because she's avoiding her peers, because she's ashamed of who she is. Yet Jesus meets her, he knows her, and he invites her into what he's doing and her life is transformed. Her shame is exchanged for joy and she runs into the town where all the people that she's been avoiding live 
and she shares the news of her encounter with Jesus and how it's changed her life. Zacchaeus, hated by society for cheating money out of people in his job as a tax collector, he's outcast by both groups, the Jews and the Romans. Well, he's hiding up a tree to see Jesus. He's hiding up a tree. We know he's short, but I don't think that's the only reason why he was up the tree. I think he's hiding. He's, he's ashamed. He's embarrassed. And he doesn't want to be among people and probably doesn't think he's allowed to be anywhere near Jesus. But he is curious. Then Jesus sees him. He knows him and he invites him actually invites himself to Zacchaeus's house. You know, they have dinner, and so Zacchaeus turns his life around, and he enters his community in a new way because of his encounter with Jesus. And the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, ceremonially unclean, it meant she couldn't participate in any act of worship in the temple also socially unclean, so was ostracized because of her condition. She snuck into a crowded place to try to touch the cloak of Jesus. She didn't make a fuss. Clearly, she didn't want to be seen. She's hidden, and she has been used to that for a really, really long time. But she did know that an encounter with Jesus would change her life. And so in her shame, she reaches out to Jesus. And she was healed by a touch of his cloak. Then he sees her and knows her. And she is free from what caused her shame because of an encounter with Jesus. I'm pretty sure that each of those people were joyful after their encounter with Jesus. Jesus is the one that we need to seek amongst our shame to free us and allow us to live without the burden. It's an encounter with Jesus that we need to seek. Constant encounters with Jesus that we need to seek to free us from our shame. Now, recently, I've been watching a lot, and by a lot, I mean a lot, of Stacey Solomon sort your life out in seven days. Has anyone seen that? Okay, there's like only Michael who watched it with me. Like, Thanks, Phoebe. <laughs> Thanks, Phoebe. Now, if you haven't seen this, first of all, watch it. It's just on BBC iPlayer. But basically, uh, they take a family, and these, this family's house is so, so, so cluttered that it's affecting everything. It's affecting their whole lives. They're stressed. They're busy. They're embarrassed of their home, so they don't invite anyone over. They don't know where anything is. They're really sad. And they can't see past living like that. That's why they have to go on the show. They, they can't see a way out of this. This is just how it's going to be. This is as good as it's going to get in my cluttered house where I can't even walk around the bed without tripping over all these things. But in the show, they're encouraged to get rid of a lot of their stuff. And so they go into this big warehouse where all of their belongings are laid out. And Stacy is like, you have to get rid of at least 50%. And of course, the team reorganize their home with all their hopefully less stuff in their house. And Stacey takes the people into their new uncluttered house. Now, I know it's only a renovation show, but you really do see the contrast between the burden of their old cluttered home and the freedom that their new uncluttered home brings. They enter their new home with joy because what was holding them back from living life before, all that clutter and junk and mess, it's gone. They see life in a completely different way. They're immediately lighter and freer. I don't know if that relates to how you feel tonight, 
Does life feel heavy and full of the burden of shame that you are carrying around? You think, is this as good as it's going to get? But I've got this, all this stuff with me. I can't even live. Do you want to experience the joyfulness that comes from freedom given by a God who loves you more than you could ever, ever imagine? Do you want to experience the lightness that freedom has and the life that Jesus has for you? I believe that untangling shame is a journey and I'm sure some of you will be um, more experienced in this than me and will have been walking this path for a really, really long time. I believe it's a journey, but I believe it's a journey to joyfulness. A journey to joyfulness in amongst our shame. We are on a journey to joyfulness. Like the people that Jesus encounters, Jesus sees us and knows us and invites us in. Jesus sees you and knows you and invites you in. He invites us to be with him, to learn how to look to him and to learn how he sees us and begin to live in that freedom. I understand, though, that if you're surrounded by shame, if that's what you're carrying around, if that's what's in your house, let's say, at the moment, it is probably hard to accept that you are seen, that you are known, and that you are loved. And that's where the complexity is that I was talking about in the beginning. The truth is simple, but living like that is much more difficult. Now, there's a worship song that some of you will know that says, the one who knows you best is the one that loves you most. The one who knows you best is the one that loves you most. There's nothing that God doesn't see or know. And he wants you to know that he could not love you any more or any less. And that's why Jesus died on the cross for us, for both our sin and our shame, because he loves us and has more for us than where we're at in our sin and in our shame. We want this to go from our heads to our hearts, and I think to do that, we need to remind ourselves of how God sees us. And if you don't know how God sees you, read what he's written about you in the Bible through people. He's used people to tell us what he knows and thinks and loves about us. This morning uh, in our all-in service, we learned about what Ephesians says about us being blessed and being chosen and being adopted. I mean, if that's all you read in Scripture, like, that's huge, but there's so much more in there that shows you what God believes about you. I'm going to end with a reading from Psalm 34, where David writes this. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. We don't need to live like that, but we can be on a journey to joyfulness. I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to hear from our panel uh, for some, yeah, maybe more practical uh, wisdom uh, for all of this stuff that we're thinking about. So let's pray. Why don't you close your eyes? Let's spend a minute just letting this take root in our hearts and in our minds. God might be stirring something in us 
and let it happen if he is. God, I thank you that you see us, that you know us, and that you love us. And I pray that we can begin to see and understand how you see us. Help us to start the journey to walk in the freedom that your cross offers. We pray that as we rid ourselves of our shame, however long that takes, that we would be able to live life to the full in a journey to joyfulness and freedom. Amen. Amen. Cool, I'd love uh, Simon and Sue and Lindsay to come and join me. I'll let them introduce themselves to you. Um, but we're just going to hear from them. They each have experience in different contexts of pastoring people, of counselling people, and most importantly, walking with people. Um, so through that, they've learnt a whole bunch. So um, do you mind going along and introducing yourselves? There might be some new people who don't know who you are. <laughs> uh, good evening, everybody. So my name is Simon and I'm the vicar here at Christchurch. I've uh, been here for three and a half years, uh, but I've been um, doing this kind of thing for nearly 30. Hello, my name's Sue Collinson, and I'm a member of the staff team here. And I, my background is in nursing, um, but I'm also um, a vicar's wife. <laughs> and so I've been in church ministry for many years. Hi, I'm Lindsay. Um, my husband, Dave, and I are members of the congregation here. Um, I'm a counselling psychotherapist, um, so work, have a private practice um, doing that, and been working as a counsellor for um, probably 12 years now. Thank you so much. So we're kind of just going to discuss a few things um, that we think are important, and hopefully some signposts as well for... Um, people to know what to kind of do after this service. Um, but firstly, I just wonder, in your experience, how have you seen shame affect people's relationship with God, with others, with themselves? How, yeah, how kind of debilitating can this, can it be? I was left holding the mic. <laughs> um, I think you've said it so beautifully, Louise, but I think for me, the word alienation um, is quite helpful that people feel alienated from from God, from others, even from themselves, feel very um, disintegrated. I think uh, it's something that we can all relate to, um, this sense of just not feeling uh, right, not feeling as though you belong, not feeling um, together, I think. Can you elaborate? Um, in real terms, in the counselling room um, where I, and in people's lives where I see shame coming out, I suppose, or the, the behaviour that res results from shame coming out is in um, addiction to dating, addiction to sex, um, workaholics, um, perfectionism, um, a need to prove... Um, oneself and therefore um, physical um, ailments because they've pushed themselves too far and having burnout. Um, that's just a few really lovely examples. Um, but yeah, I think, to be honest with you, shame turns up somewhere in most clients. Um, they come for one thing, but the root of most of what I see in the, the therapy room, I would say, is shame. I think just to add, it, I see people feeling isolated by shame. So you, you feel, I can't deal with God, I can't deal with other people, and almost like, a, as Sue was saying, like a dissonance within yourself. So I think it, it means that you feel alone. Thank you. And you've walked with people that are kind of in the process of 
understanding what's going on in their own hearts. And so what, do you, what kind of things do you notice about the process of freedom from shame? I mean, presumably it's very different for different people, but what are the similarities? What are the differences? What do you notice about that, that journey? Um, I think one of the um, first things it, it, I would say is that it's very easy for shame to, to result in shame. I think when, when shame comes out in the open, someone's honest enough about their shame, it's very easy as, a, um, as someone walking alongside to, um, to instigate more shame. So I, I would say that I'm aware of needing to be very careful and in walking alongside... Um, not telling anything, not giving my judgments, but just walking as alongside building a relationship um, of love, unconditional love. Um, I think, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would just echo that. I think in my experience, um, relationship is absolutely key. And I think... This is maybe why it's, it's really good that we're talking about it here and it's really good that everybody is hearing this because um, we need to model what God's love is like and that's where we all come into it. There's probably more to be said as we go on. Yeah, I think just the thing I'd add is that it, I think Lindsay's really helpfully said, you know, it, about being aware of how other people are going to respond to what we say but I've found lots of times that someone has, has come and spoken to me and they feel crippled, like literally, almost physically, by a sense of shame. But there's something about sharing it with another person that is a really important first step in that process. And there's something about speaking it out and acknowledging it. And, and quite often you can see the shame that was like as big as a 10-story building when the person walked in. There's something about beginning to describe it that means that it becomes a bit more manageable. So I found that finding an appropriate person who's going to listen well is a really important first step because it goes back to the isolation thing. It means that you're now potentially able to share it with somebody else. Yeah, thank you. And... Being in church, we, you know, we have the cross, like that's Jesus' gift for us. But how significant is that um, in, yeah, people's shame? Uh, how have you found that significant? <laughs> no one wants to answer that one. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware that um, it, it could be very easy to hear that the cross is the answer and feel shame because it doesn't feel like that for you. Um, and so I think the cross is the answer. I think Jesus came to, um, to show us his infinite love, but we may, not, we may hear that and not necessarily feel it and then can feel ashamed because we don't feel it. So I think we need to be quite careful. We, you and we do believe that the cross is the answer. I absolutely believe the cross is the answer. As I sit with my clients, um, I, I show them that through the way I listen and the unconditional, in therapy terms, we call it unconditional positive regard, but unconditional love that I show. Because again, I think it's very easy if you hear that the cross is the answer and don't feel it to feel more shame. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for, for people who have either experienced very shameful things or have been involved in very shameful things, for me, it has, it has broadened and deepened my view of the cross and what Jesus did on the cross when I have walked with those people because... It, you know, we sing about it being the hope, but actually it is the only hope because there was something so incredibly profound and cosmic in what Jesus did on the cross and through the cross, his resurrection, that actually when I think of, of the world and some of the, you know, the 
yeah, almost indescribable, shameful things in the world. It needs to be something so big and so great to, yeah, to cope with that. And I think, um, yeah, just echoing, I'm just echoing what everyone says, but uh, as, as Lindsay said, you know, it's really hard to appropriate that spiritual truth, that theological truth in your own life, in your lived experience. And um, so how I, how I sort of talk to people about that is just simply to say, you know, we don't have Jesus here physically. Um, and so that makes it hard for us because he isn't physically here with us. But what we have is the body. We have the body of Christ. And, and that's actually very, very powerful that we are the body of Christ. We are his body, as it were, um, on earth uh, for all our frailty and our weakness. And that can create a lot of complexity, as we've touched on, but that can, can also be very beautiful, that we can actually be like Jesus for these people, for all of us, for each other. I, just one thing to add, I think for me, that the, the cross just makes me love Jesus so much more, because you think about how religion worked in his day. Religion was about power. It's about big, strong gods that hurled thunderbolts and could wipe people out. You know, and here you have Jesus coming and willing to be humiliated and to be ashamed and to, to go to a place of, of the greatest possible shame. And for me, that makes me love Jesus and it also makes me confident in, in saying to people that, that the God of the universe who might seem so big and out there actually knows himself what it means to be utterly humiliated and abandoned. And that, so that makes me love Jesus for the cross all the more. Mm. Lindsay, you talked a bit about how uh, we can know things but not know things um, in our hearts how yeah what do you say to people that are like I've been told this a million times and I and I do know it and I, and I want to believe it for me but it just doesn't feel like that is possible I would say thank you for being so honest <laughs> for a start um, and um, I would listen and explore um, what be curious, there's a type of um, therapy called com com um, compassionate inquiry, and I, lo I really love the name of that because I think certainly that's where I go is, is compassionately inquiring okay, what do you think is getting in the way of you feeling that I sit there with the confidence to know that there is a way through. Um, but there's no point in me telling that to somebody. They need to find that out for themselves. So I think compassionately inquiring, sitting with, um, allowing that journey. And I think, you know, as Simon said, having, having someone witnessing that journey is, is, and walking alongside you is really important because I think shame doesn't survive um, out of the dark. Um, and so I think, you know, for all of us and, and for all of us, you know, that's our, that's our mission, our, our work in life is to walk alongside people, but walk alongside, not dragging them along or telling them which way to go. It's walking alongside. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, great. Um, now, what would you tell and how would you... Um, help I suppose what are the next steps for those of us who feel this shame who struggle to see ourselves as God sees us um, and those yeah and I guess those in the church family who are trying to walk alongside people in that process what do you have resources do you have yeah thoughts do you have help <laughs> yeah I'd like to start by saying you know we're in this together this is a shared we, we all, I think, at various times, in various ways, various levels, as we've said, various degrees, feel shame. And we all also have that um, 
gap between what we know in our heads and what we know and live in our hearts and our lives. And I've often said to people, it is Christian discipleship to, as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, to be able to grasp how wide and deep and high and long is the love of Christ and to know that love and to have that love as a foundation of your life. That is a lifelong discipleship journey. So I think the first thing I would want to say is, you know, we're in this together. And just, I think, to really reiterate what um, what has been said about uh, shame is all about hiding and about being fearful of being exposed. Um, so actually anything that we can do to create a sense of safety, of compassion, of kindness, is, is really, really important. And to make people feel as though there are people there. You know, there are people there for you who, who can, yeah, provide that for you. Yeah, I think the place I'd start is just, just um, if you, as soon as you can, address it. Uh, because shame festers. It doesn't sort of just stay the same. You know, Lindsay's right, if, if you drag it out of the dark, amazing things happen, but if you leave it in the dark, it doesn't stay the same, it, it festers and toxifies. And so there's, there's something about taking a first step, which is often talking to somebody that you trust and getting their perspective on things and saying, can you help me, can you listen to me, that I think is really important. So I, I would say, you know, don't delay, don't let it fester, uh, but reach out to somebody would be the most important thing. And Lindsay, any things we can point people towards? Um, I think um, there's, it depends, you know, obviously shame is very different for all of us. And for some people, um, it, it, brings real issues in their life and I think only you know where you're at I think you know for all of us it's really important we know where shame shows up in our lives um, and that's for everybody um, you know whether you're walking alongside or you are someone who's really struggling um, so I think it you know I would say to everybody you know just after this service spend some time reflecting on on where shame shows up in your life whether it's perfectionism or or needing to work really hard to prove yourself whatever it is um if you are um, really struggling like simon says reach out to somebody somebody you feel safe with um for me um for my you know personal experience i gathered um a couple of friends together to pray with me um and we've prayed together for the last 10 years um it's a long journey um and and then you know i guess i would say this because i'm a therapist but i absolutely believe in therapy i think you know it it's an, a safe space an unconditional space it's it's confidential um i would you know recommend if if you feel it's appropriate for you don't be scared of therapy because it really does help alongside you know, getting this, you know, spiritual help and friends as well, you know, gathering people around, but finding a safe space for yourself. Yeah, thank you. And to just kind of land this, where's the hope? Um, yeah, in amongst however we feel, where is the hope? Um, the hope is that, that if you bring shame, if we all bring shame out into the open, there is freedom. You said it in your talk you know, there is freedom. It can feel hard to bring it out in the open. It can feel harder and that it gets harder to start with. But um, I absolutely, I wouldn't do the job I did if I didn't believe there was hope. Because yeah. I, and I see it every day happening. You can tell I'm keen, can't you? I'm keen, trying to grab the mic. Uh, I'm Should have given you because, one each, um, really. Yeah, I think for me, the hope is that, that God knows. And there's this amazing blessing in the Bible. It comes up in Numbers, which is about the fourth book of the Bible, something like that. Uh, and it's the Aaron, 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 how do you say it? Aaron blessing. Where's anyway. Brian? Yeah, yeah. Ironic, ironic. Yes, where's Brian when you need him? Anyway, you know it because we sing it, don't we? You know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And to me, that is just the most amazing 
counter to shame, isn't it? That the Lord's face is towards us. You know, he, he looks at us with love and compassion. And I just love the fact that that blessing is there as a sort of, that is what God's heart is for us. And he, you know, it comes up right at the beginning of his relationship with his people that he was a God of blessing. And that blessing meant that he could look on them with love and they could look on him, that their faces, uh, yeah, could, could be together. I want to echo all of that. Maybe just take us off on a, on a final tangent, if I'm allowed to, which is that, you know, we, we do live in a culture where this is really hard. Like, really, really hard. And like, since I was a kid and a teenager, and even in my 20s, if I did something dumb, a couple of people heard about it, and that was about it. And I did a lot of dumb things. But, you know, a lot of you who are younger now, if you do something dumb, it'll follow you for a long time, and it'll follow you home, and you feel like there's no escape from the things um, that are being said about you um, or said to you. And I just think we have to recognize how hard that is. I think, secondly, we live in a culture whereby we are constantly invited to shame other people. And we're constantly invited to put other people down and to be part of a bigger thing whereby we're, we're constantly telling people who's in, who's out, who's right, who's wrong, who's up, who's down. And those of us who have begun, thanks to God, to begin to, in a sense, face our own shame and the freedom that comes from that, we're going to have to start to change the culture because it is so horrible and so toxic um, that we need to go on to be people that are changing the face of shame in the wider culture in which we live. Yeah, thank you so much. And I think... Uh, as everyone said, just reach out um, to someone here. If there's literally no one, just email the office um, or just someone that you're with. And uh, let's not let it fester. Let's not keep it in the dark. Let's let it into the light um, and give it to God with other people. Uh, thank you so much, uh, all three of you. Uh, we're going to go into a time um, of worship together. Um, so if the band could come up, that would be great. And um, yeah, if you're able um, and willing, please stand. You totally can just take the time to um, sit if you'd like. But if you're able, please do stand. And maybe it feels a bit jarring to think about all that stuff and then to worship. I don't know, maybe that feels a bit uncomfortable. But actually, we don't worship because everything is perfect because then we would never worship. We worship because we know the promise of God and we believe that he is going to deliver on those promises. And we believe that he is for us and that he loves us and that we're going to see his kingdom come. So as we sing, if the words are like, what? But we've just talked about all this really intense stuff. These words are a declaration of what we believe and of what we want to see happen. And actually things that we are seeing happening now. We're declaring that as we sing. Um, now we know that there are probably things that are being stirred in your heart. So um, just to my left, uh, your right over here, uh, there are people that who would love to pray with you. This is a journey, right? But it can begin <laughs> now. Um, once Sue said about um, prayer that walking up here is half the job. Um, that's most of the work. And so if you want to step into freedom tonight and you want to see what it feels like to let go of some of that shame and just start that process uh, with God, then just come forward as we sing. Um, these people would love to pray with you and for you. Yeah, cool. Thanks, guys. Well, there's several places, but the parts of Scripture that talk about God lifting up our heads and lifting up our eyes and that 
she's just reminded of this as we think about shame and when our, our eyes are just down. But the promise of the Bible is that God is going to lift up our head and lift up our eyes. And she said, you know, he literally is like scooping your chin and lifting your head up. And that changes what you see, that changes your perspective. If you're looking down, you can only see the floor. But if you're looking up, I mean, you know that, you see everything. And I think you see God's goodness in a different way and you see the life that he has for you in a different way and you see hope in a different way. So if tonight you don't even feel like you have the strength to look up, know the promise of God that, yeah, when you ask him, he'll do that for you. When you trust in him, he'll do that for you. He will lift up your head and lift up your eyes. I'm just going to pray and then we'll draw to a close. God, I thank you for all that you've done tonight, for the ways that you've entered our hearts again. And we thank you that your spirit is moving and will continue to move. God, help us to speak about this as a church family. Help us to walk alongside one another as we walk alongside you. And please, God, just cement that truth in our hearts this week, that we are seen and known and loved by you and that you will lift up our eyes to see more than what's just beneath us or around us, but we can see you and your promise for us. Amen.